0: I'm going to be doing a lot of reading, especially at the beginning. So if you would go with me to Romans chapter 7, I'm going to begin with verse 7. I'm going to read uh, several verses here. So I'm reading from my iPad, so you'll have to try to keep the screen up with me. Romans 7, 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid, nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Was then that of expecting a different direction? Maybe not. It would be fine with me if I don't. He doesn't give me another direction. But the subject tonight is this. The blessing of failure, frustration, and despair. And by the will of God and the grace of God, by the time I'm through tonight, you will see that failure and frustration and despair are blessings. They are blessings. I'm reading now from the Amplified, Romans chapter 7, verse 7. I'm going to be reading a little bit. I think you have the capability of putting that on the screen. Uh, but just let me read it, if, you, if I could, please. What then do we conclude? This is Romans 7, 7 from the Amplified. Is the law identical with sin? Certainly not. Nevertheless, if it had not been for the law, I should not have recognized sin or have known its meaning. For instance, I would not have known about covetousness, would have had no consciousness of sin or sense of guilt, if the law had not repeatedly said, you shall not covet, and... Have an evil desire for one thing or another. But sin, finding opportunity in the commandment to express itself, got a hold on me and aroused and stimulated all kinds of forbidden desires, lusts and covetousness. For without the law, sin is dead. The sense of it is inactive and a lifeless thing. Did you get that? Without the law, I have no sense. No ability to discern that my actions are wrong. Does that make my actions okay if I don't have the law? Of course not. It just means I have no ability to know that what I'm doing is wrong. It's wrong in the sight of God, but I don't know it. Verse 9. Once I was alive, but quite apart from and unconscious of the law. But when the commandment came, sin lived again, and I died, was sentenced by the law to death. That's it. The soul shall surely die. And the very legal ordinance which was designed and intended to bring life, did you get that? The very legal ordinance that was designed and intended to bring life actually proved to mean to me death. For sin, seizing the opportunity and getting a hold on me by taking its incentive from the commandment, beguiled and entrapped and cheated me, and using it as a weapon, killed me. The law, therefore, is holy, and each commandment is holy and just and good. But that which is good then proved fatal, bringing death to me. I so want to get into all of this right now, but... I just feel we need to read the context before I interrupt. (sighs) Verse 13. Did that which is good then prove fatal, bringing death to me? Certainly not. It was sin working death in me by using this good thing as a weapon in order that through the commandment sin might be shown up clearly to be sin. That the extreme malignity and immeasurable sinfulness of sin might plainly appear. We know that the law is spiritual, but I'm a creature of the flesh, carnal, unspiritual, having been sold into slavery under the control of sin. For I do not understand my own actions. I am baffled, bewildered, frustrated. I do not practice or accomplish what I wish. But I do the very thing I, that I loathe, which my moral instinct condemns. Now, if I do habitually what is contrary to my desire, that means that I acknowledge and agree that the law is good, morally excellent, and that it, I take sides with it. However, it is no longer I who do the deed, but the sin principle which is at home in me and has possession of me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh." I can will what is right, but I cannot perform it. I have the intention and urge to do what is right, but no power to carry it out. For I fail to practice the good deeds I desire to do, but the evil deeds that I do not desire to do are what I am ever doing. Now, if I do what I do not desire to do, It is no longer I doing it. It is not myself that acts, but the sin principle which dwells within me, fixed and operating in my soul. So if I I find it to be a law, rule of action of my being, that when I want to do what is right and good, evil is ever present with me, and I am subject to its insistent demands. For I endorse and delight in the law of God in my innermost self, not my mind, In my innermost self. With my new nature. But I discern in my bodily members. In the sensitive appetites and wills of the flesh. A different law. Rule of action. At war against the law of my mind. My reason. And making me a prisoner to the law of sin. That dwells in my bodily organs. In the sensitive appetites and wills of the flesh. Oh unhappy. And pitiable. And wretched and frustrated, and full of despair, man that I am. Who will release and deliver me from the shackles of this body of death? Oh, thank God he will. Through Jesus Christ, the anointed one, our Lord, so then indeed I of myself with the mind and heart serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Now, the word thank there in the agreement, I can't help myself. The word thank there in the Greek, in that last verse, is charis, the word grace. And in my opinion, my opinion, not as a scholar, just in my opinion, I believe that that word should not have been translated thank thank there. It should have been translated grace. And I have an ally. It's a strange ally, but it's an ally. The Catholic Bible that teaches salvation by works actually says by the grace of God through our Lord Jesus Christ is how I'll be delivered. I'm delivered by the grace of God. It is the grace of God that will deliver me from my flesh. By surrendering my to God and acknowledging my inability to do what the Word says I can then allow the grace of God to operate in me and deliver me from this man and enable me to do what's right. Uh, just four more verses again amplified, Romans 8, 1. Therefore there is now no condemnation, no a judging guilty of wrong for those who are in Christ Jesus who live and walk not after the dictates of the flesh but after the dictates of the spirit. For the law of spirit of life which is in Christ Jesus, the law of our new being, has freed me from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law could not do the its power being weakened by the flesh the law isn't weak by the flesh but its ability to save me is weakened because of the weakness of the flesh because the law only tells me what to do it doesn't empower me to do it so therefore if it tells me what to do and i cannot and it doesn't empower me to do it then the law, though it's good and right and just and all of that, it becomes weak in the sense that it's weak because flesh is the means whereby the law expects you under the law to do what the law says. And, of course, we have people today that don't believe in legalism. And so their solution to all of this is, it's not New Testament, their solution is, let's just get rid of the law. If we can't keep the law, let's just get rid of it. Well, God is unchangeable. You can't get rid of the law. The parts of the law that says this is right and this is wrong, you can't get rid of that. God can't change. Well, what's the change? Is The New Testament is the Spirit of God's put in me. He writes His law on the fleshly tables of my heart, and then He empowers me to walk in that. Verse 3 again, for God has done what the law could not do. Its power being weakened by the flesh, the entire nature of man without the Holy Spirit. Do you get that? The flesh is, in this context, Amplified says, is the entire nature of man without the Holy Spirit. Or can I put it to you this way? Flesh is talking about the, the nature of man absent or without or separate from the involvement of the Holy Ghost. Sending his own son in the guise of sinful flesh. Why does he say it like that? Because his flesh wasn't sinful. It was flesh. But it wasn't sinful. In the guise of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, God condemned sin of the flesh, subdued, overcame, deprived of its power over all who accept the sacrifice. Verse 4, So that the righteous and just requirement of the law might be fully met in us who live and move not in the ways of the flesh, but in the ways of the Spirit. Our lives govern not by the, the standards and according to the dictates of the flesh, but controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I'm testing your patience tonight. wes beginning Romans 7, 7. I don't think you have that, do you? Do they have the ability to put that on the screen? Okay. Okay. Uh, and, and the problem with wees is reading it, it is wordy, and it's a little difficult to follow, and I apologize for that. And I'm going to start, and if I feel like it just... I'll stop. Romans 7, 7. What therefore shall we say? The law, is it sin? Away with the thought. Certainly I did not come into an experiential knowledge of sin except through the instrumentality of law. For I had not known evil desire, except the law kept on saying, you shall not desire evil. That Again, that does not mean I didn't have the desire for the thing, is I didn't know it was evil. The desire didn't change. I had that. But what changed was I went from ignorance to knowledge. I went from darkness to light. But the sinful nature using the commandment as a fulcrum, brought about in me every kind of evil craving, for without law the sinful nature was dead. You know, it's like... (laughs) I forget the brand name. Uh, But I, I, I walk was in the kitchen last night, and I walked by the counter, and I noticed on the countertop a box, and it was a box of uh, things in little packages that looked like, kind of like ho-ho's, but they weren't totally round, and I forget who the brand of them. I, I, I of course, heard the brand, brand forever, but I didn't know they made this stuff, and I said, where'd these come from? She said, I saw them. I thought I'd try them. I said, well, are they good? She said, well, not really. Now, you have to understand. When my wife says something sweet's not really good, she doesn't really like sweets. I never take her opinion on whether something sweet tastes good. Okay? Because some of my favorite desserts she can't eat but a bite of, that's too rich. What are you, poor? That's my comeback. Okay? That's just the way my brain works. That's too rich. Yeah, I like that. Isn't that really good? Yeah, ah, chocolate. Ah. So I'd never heard of these things before. And I, I just I opened the box and took one out. Just one, just one. I said, well, you know, I, I think I'll try this and make my own decision. And I sat down and I opened the package and I started eating. And it wasn't ho-ho's, but th- it was good. I didn't know I always liked that till I tasted it. I didn't know I wanted any of those because I didn't know they existed. But now that I know they exist and there's part of a box left, now I'm thinking about getting home and eating a couple as a start. I didn't know that I wanted those. But it being pointed out to me that it was there, I didn't realize I always liked those. I didn't know I always liked it because I didn't know they existed. But now that I've tasted I know I always liked them. Is that convoluted? That's exactly the way flesh works, see. Because there are things that your flesh will want you to do that you didn't want to do till the law says thou shalt not do. It's like every new iPhone. I don't, I don't meditate on what I, I wish my phone could do XYZ. I don't meditate on that. And I keep thinking, well, they can't really make this better. And then they come out and they make it better. And my favorite saying is, "This phone can now do all those things I never knew I wanted a phone to be able to do." <laughs> I didn't know I wanted an iPhone with a 5.7 inch screen. I didn't know I wanted one, but I got my order in. It was supposed to be it was supposed to be in sometime late October. And when I get it, I'll know that I always wanted one this size. I just didn't know I always wanted one this size until it was available. Now, you can say that's sin. Well, that's the way, that's the way sin uses the law. Sin takes stuff that the law says don't do that you would have never done in a million years. My, I was raised on uh, what's called country cooking. or some call it soul food I can't tell there's any big difference between the two whatever you call it I like it That's what I ate all my life I never wanted to eat anything else and I met this woman and I, she she's got adventurous taste buds We were in Seoul, Korea with the Turners. And they took us to this Korean restaurant type thing. And they told her of this drink that people drink that's supposed to do something really good for you. And all it was, if I remember correctly, was two raw eggs dumped in a glass of Sprite. Let me tell you something right now. I guess if I had 50 AK-47s pointed at me, I probably would sip on it. But I am not voluntarily tasting it under any circumstances. Guess what the other half of me did? Oh, let's try that. (laughs) Now, I will admit she hadn't done that since we've been home. But she drank the whole thing. Till I met her, I didn't know I liked Mexican food. Till I met her, I didn't know I liked Chinese food enough to eat it once a year. And last night was my one time for this year. For Esther's birthday. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I don't have adventurous taste buds. People think I'm joking. I, I don't eat hamburgers every I really honestly don't eat hamburgers every day. I don't. But if it was my preference, if it was my choice, my record is uh, 66 straight days in the summer of 1966. That's true. I didn't even realize it was 1966, but it was. 66 straight days I had at least two hamburgers a day. And there were some days I had two hamburgers for lunch and two for dinner. Because I was in the place where I was deciding what I was going to eat, and I didn't have to ask anybody else what they wanted. So when I decided what I wanted to eat, one of the stupidest things I did that summer, this was stupid. Everybody, Anybody here ever heard of Whataburger? They make whoppers look small. They're about like that, right? Well, I only weighed 180 pounds. I know you can't believe that, but I did. And I was at the I was out fellowshipping with a young lady, <laughs> and we went by Whataburger. And I ate a whopper, and I I still felt hungry. I went in, got me another one, ate that whopper. I still felt hungry. I got me another one. I decided, well, I'm going to quit here. This is stupid. Well, Whataburger not only has big Whoppers, they had 32-ounce Cokes. And that was before I got converted to diet, just for the taste of it. And uh, I got me this 32-ounce Coke and drank it. That enough would have been enough to bust my belly, but I had those three whoppers in there, and all that bread soaked up all that meat, and I will to tell you what. That's the last time I ever did that. I hurt really, 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 really bad. But that was in my that was that was a part of my sixty six days. I, I you know. I don't dislike pizza. I don't dislike spaghetti when it's fixed for me or provided I eat it and enjoy it but never choose it myself I would never order it for myself but my wife fixes it and I love it and I eat it And or if it's whatever situation she needs to get pizza I'm fine with pizza I don't dislike pizza I just don't choose to eat it as my choice if it's my choice this is what sin did with the law Sin made you see all your choices. Because if all of this is a is a shall not, I wonder how much pleasure there'd be in doing that. You didn't even know you could do all that. Let's try this. Oh, but the law says don't do it. Yeah, but God doesn't want you to have any fun. Let's try this. Now, you can reverse that on the devil. The devil can't tell the truth, so everything he says to you, the truth is the opposite. So if you're praying in tongues and you hear this voice go, "That it you are wasting your time, that you're not making any difference, you don't even know what you're talking about," well, I learned to listen to him and turn it around. If you don't want me to pray in tongues that bad, I'm praying in tongues. Because I must be doing something you don't want me to be doing. Uh, I, let me get up back, back with this. Verse 13. Therefore that which is good to me, did it become death? Away with the thought, but the sinful nature, in order that it might become evident that it is sin. Through that which is good, the commandment, the co- the, which is good, the commandment, brought about death in me. In order that the sinful nature, its impulses and workings through the intermediate agency of the commandment might may become exceedingly sinful. I cannot have godly sorrow over my actions to any greater degree than I see how sinful my actions are. If I don't see anything wrong with that, I'm never going to have any godly sorrow over doing it. Therefore, I'm never going to repent. So therefore, the law is what makes sin exceedingly sinful to me, so that the spirit can produce godly sorrow in me, so that I can, so that sentence can be or repentance can be worked in me. Without the law, I can't be saved because I can't know what's wrong, and I I won't know what to repent of. Verse fourteen. For we know that the law is spiritual, but as for myself, I am fleshly, brackets, being dominated by the sinful nature, permanently sold under the sinful nature. For that which I do, I do not understand. For that which I desire, I do not practice. But that which I hate, this I am doing. In view of the fact that then that what I do not desire, this I do, I am in agreement with the law that it is good. The law is good, not my actions. Since the case stands thus, no longer is it I who do it, but the sinful nature which dwells, indwells me. For I know positively that there does not dwell in me, that is, in my flesh, good. For the, for the being desirous is constantly with me, but the doing of the good, not. It's not in me. For that which I desire, good, I do not. But that which I do not desire, evil, This I practice. But in view of the fact that that which I do not desire, this I do, no longer is it I who do it, but the sinful nature which indwells me does it. I find therefore the law that to me always desirous of doing the good to me. The evil is always present. I always want, I'm a new creature. I've been born of the water and the spirit. In my spirit, I want to do right. But I don't always do right. I don't always do right. For I rejoice in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see a different kind of law in my members, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of war, a prisoner of war to the law of the sinful nature which is in my members. Wretched man I am wretched man I Who shall deliver me out of the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, I myself with my mind serve the law of God, but with my flesh the law of sin. You say, well, that sounds like a split personality. No, it's not a split personality. It's acknowledgement that you now have two natures. Till you were born again of water and the Spirit, you only had one nature. You only had the sinful nature. But when you're born again, now you have two natures at war within you. The nature, which is God in you, wants to do what's right, wants to please God. But the flesh that's always been there... It wants to do wrong. It wants to run its own life. And what did I teach last year at Call to War? That sin, the sin found in heaven was iniquity. What is iniquity? It's the lawlessness that's the result of wanting to be in charge and run your own life and make your own decisions. That's what flesh wants. My flesh wants what it wants. But now, I've been born again. In my inner man, there is a new man. There is a new nature. And that nature wants to please God. But, whoa, whoa, I'm ripped apart here. Romans 5, uh, uh, 17. The flesh lusteth against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. These two are contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. There's a war going on here. Oh, this wretched, miserable man that I am. I'm miserable. I'm frustrated. What's wrong with me? I'm sick of failing. I can't do anything right. That's the plan. It's the plan. God knew that His Word was impossible for for sinful flesh to keep God knew that he God knew before he gave the law that sinful flesh was incapable of keeping the law it was impossible you say then sin is God's responsibility no the law is good right is right wrong is wrong truth is truth lie is lie that doesn't change or not change because of my flesh it's true. It's right. Sin is wrong. It's evil. That Those things are... Huh, here you go. This is the, the word that the, I, I, this current generation hates. That's an absolute. That's absolute. That doesn't change. It can't be violated. It can't be altered. God can't change. And He is the Word made flesh. And the Word is truth. And it cannot change. And when he gave the law, he knew that man couldn't keep the law. Well, if God is love, why did he do that? Because he knew that man could not be saved if man didn't even know what he was doing is wrong. Because sin is going in there. And if you don't know it's sin, ignorance of the law is no excuse. That is the principle of civil law. And where do you think civil law got that principle? Out of the Word of God. Ignorance of the law is no excuse. Well, I didn't know that was wrong. Is that really true? If I'm driving ninety miles down an hour down the highway, and 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 there's no signs. You mean there's really nothing inside that says? Let's you think. You're going a little fast. Really? Is there anyone that hasn't experienced that? I'm not talking about Christian. I'm talking about everybody. The only people that don't experience that are those who have so seared their conscience it doesn't work anymore. But it used to work. It used to work. The devil has always made forbidden fruit look the best. But the same guy that tells you it looks the best is the guy that's in your face telling you how horrible you are after you've taken a bite. Same guy. There aren't two. There isn't one that's the adversary. Oh, this is really good. The, the, the Lord, you're not going to die. It's, everything is okay here. Yeah. God, God just, God, God doesn't want you to have any fun. He doesn't really mean it. You try this; it's good. The same one that's saying that says, "Ah, you horrible, terrible person! You knew you weren't supposed to take a bite of that, and now you have, and it's you're done for." Not two different beings; same one. Well, what's the blessing of failure? If God knew I couldn't keep the law through the flesh, what's the blessing of failure? The blessing of failure is my instructor. The law is my schoolmaster to lead me to Christ. The law is my schoolmaster. Well, I know in modern teaching, modern teaching, you know, you don't give bad grades and so you don't tell people that they're doing bad and you don't, you, you don't tell a person they can't read that they can't read. You let them believe a lie that they're okay. Cause that's modern teaching. Now the problem is they graduate from high school, then they can't get a job. Cause that boss that's expecting to pay them isn't gonna tell them. It's gonna say, oh, oh, you can't read, that's okay, I'll pay you just because I'm a nice guy. Oh, and you can't do this little job I've given you, which I'm supposedly hired you for to pay, to pay you to do. Uh, oh, that's okay. It's okay that you can't do anything. Just come to work and have fun like you did in school. Uh, and, 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 and I'll pat you on the back and pay you good money. Anybody know of bosses like that? Uh, uh-uh. uh. So here we have the, the, uh, uh, a, a major theme of today's education and they're telling all these kids this and oh we're gonna pat you on the back and you can't do bad and there's no grades and all of this stuff everybody's oh you know i'm okay you're okay everything's all right and then they get out of school and nothing is like that no place is like that nobody's gonna pay you when you can't do anything Whose fault is that? Well, if, you know, if you give a kid an F, he may just get discouraged and quit. Some may. But how many kids do you spare by getting their attention? Work. Apply yourself. Apply yourself. Don't shortchange yourself. How many kids that were born with a silver spoon in their mouth really never make anything of themselves? Not really. Because they never had to work for anything. Nothing ever cost them anything. They always had somebody to bail them out of their trouble, hire the best lawyer so that they were responsible for what they they did wrong. Hey! That's not God's plan. God doesn't make us fail, but he set us up to fail. Because the blessing of failure is it gets my attention and proves to me I can't do this myself. Oh, well, here's the problem. Till you get the revelation of the blessing of failure, then you live frustrated, irritated, depressed, discouraged, beat yourself up all the time. (laughs) Let me tell you about humble people. Humble people fail. And they go, Oh, thank you, Lord, for your love and mercy. I, I, I know you didn't approve of this failure, but I thank you for for loving me enough to let me fail so that I could see that I was trusting myself. Now, Lord, I know I can't do this myself. And so, therefore, teach me how to let you do this through me. Teach me not to rely on myself. Teach me how to do that, Lord. And send me to people and send people to me that that can help me and teach me and guide me and give me input and whatever. Because that's humility. You know what pride is? I can't do this right I'm so sick of failing I'm so sick of not doing what I'm supposed to do I'm not so sick of never being good enough you know what that is? it's pride it's pride you know what it's really saying? I am angry that I am not good enough to be righteous and to do right by my own strength. I'm angry at that. I'm upset with that. That I am not good enough to do this. And win God and everybody else's approval, because I should be able to do this, because I, I, me, I should be able to accomplish this. I should be able to do that. That's not humility, friend. That's pride. Because it's a lie. And God, in His loving mercy, blesses you with more failure. And more failure. And more failure. And if the depths of that failure is not enough... He will just open more doors for you to fail and fail and fail and fail and fail. And fail. Because what is the destination of all of, of frustration and, and despair and failure? What's the destination of that? The destination is a crossroads. Actually, it's a Y in the road. You're either going to humble yourself and go to God and say, You were right all along, Lord. I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm not able to do this without you and you die out to yourself that's what I taught last week you die out to your will your way and you seek God directly and you're willing for him to help you whether it's through a direct word from him or through whatever whoever he sends your way to speak to you, you, you you're willing to receive help any way he provides it because that's what that's what that path takes you down and there's peace there And once you learn to walk that way, it's not that failure is okay. But you see the great blessing in failure because it always keeps you reminded every time that you begin to trust yourself again, you will fail. And those failures are reminders to get you back on track. It's a great day to to be a driver of a car. Most cars... No no matter how expensive or inexpensive they are, most cars today—they have lane departure warnings. A lot of cars have that. Lane departure warnings. Beep, 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 beep. First time we got one of them, and I would kind of get near the line and it would start beeping. My wife was just having so much time, so so much, so much fun. See there? I told you you wander in the in the lane. I told you! I said, listen. It's bad enough this car is talking to me about my driving. Let's, let's decide right now that I will listen to the car and, 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 and you, you just be satisfied in knowing it verified to you that sometimes my mind wanders and I don't exactly stay exactly in between the lines. Beep, 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 beep. That Audi, that's different. I don't know why they didn't do a beep. But when you get out of the lane with it, the steering wheel in your seat vibrates. Well, actually, the state tried to do that with those little ridges on the road. But the car does it before you get to the ridges because the ridges are outside the line. The car does it when you get to the line. Well, (laughs) how about this? And then, of course, there's this honoriness in me that just gets on those little things and rides. Right, see how long I can drive with my wheels on them. What are you doing? Oh, I'm just getting a free massage. Well, I don't tell the truth. I'm just seeing how long it takes for me this to get to you. See how long it takes for you to finally say something. I kind of keep a mental record of it. Oh, 15 seconds that time. Ah, you held out a little longer. I mean, she can go 30 seconds without saying something. She won, hands down. She won. But most of the time, I win. My favorite pastime is pestering her, teasing her. They call it flirting. It really is. I just, anything I got to do to keep her attention, I'm going to do it. Like some little kid putting pigtails in the inkwell. That's that's I do that with stuff with her all the time. Anything to make sure she can't forget about me. Failure is not a funny thing. I'm not trying to make funny failure funny, but you've got to understand the blessing of failure. You say well, Failure says I'm. I'm terrible and I'm worthless and I can't do anything right. No, 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 no. Failure says you are what God said you are. You are a human that without him you can do nothing. That's what failure says. Failure doesn't say you're a worthless, terrible, inept, incompetent human being. Failure says, trust yourself again, didn't you? Try to do it yourself again, didn't you? But again, what's your attitude about failure? What's your attitude? When you fail, is there an attitude that says, thank you, Father, thank you. I, I confess that what I've just done is wrong. I confess it with you, to you. The word confess in the Greek means to speak in agreement with. That means it's not it's not a little way to get out of something. You're saying to him your word says this is wrong the law of God says this is wrong and I speak in agreement with you and your law that what I've just done or what I didn't do I should have done is sin I confess that I confess it Father and then of course the most important thing to confess is not what you've done you shouldn't have done or what you did didn't do you should have done and you notice Paul covered both of those the things I would I do not the things I would not that I do. He covered both types of sin there, you see. He didn't just cover the one, the things I would not that I do. Uh-uh. Because as I've said many, many times, Christians sin far more in the sins of omission, what they don't do they should have done than any anything in comparison to the things they did they shouldn't have done. But, so many of us, Only focus on, well, I don't do this and I don't do that. Sounds like the guy that was beating on his chest. Father, I thank you I'm not like this publican. I pay my tithes and I fast twice in the week and you are so happy to have me. You are lucky that I'm here, God. Because he didn't see himself and he didn't see the law. All he could see was who he was in comparison to who others aren't. And you know what? And Jesus said, which one of those two went down to their house justified? The guy that wasn't doing the things the sinner did? No. The man that saw himself for what he really was, was honest with God and honest with himself about it, and sought God for his help in being what he should be. The other guy... He couldn't see himself. He didn't see the sinner, and he and he didn't he wasn't asking God for any help to do what was right. I got it covered, Lord. Don't worry about it. Others need you. Go take care of them. I got it. They didn't both go home justified. They didn't both go home approved of by God. The guy that was doing right went home condemned. The guy that wasn't doing right but had a right attitude between him and God went home forgiven and justified. Now, that's difficult to swallow, isn't it? That's hard to swallow. That's not the way our brain works, is it? The other day, I I was, you know, if you follow me on Twitter or Facebook whatever, I... I, I just go off on a direction. That's what I feel. I do that. And one of the tweets I, I, I tweeted and then I, and I posted it, of course, on Facebook, uh, was, I don't remember exactly how it was put, but you know, I just can't comprehend anyone judging or rejecting another human being based solely on the color of their skin. I, I it's incomprehensible to me. I do not, that I have no ability to understand that rationale at all. At all. I, I don't have, I, I can't understand that. I don't understand it. And one nice lady commented, she said, well, Christians shouldn't be judging at all. I couldn't help myself. I wrote her back and I said, well, I guess you've never approved of anybody, have you? And you can't show approval to anybody because the word judging is neutral and it means you form an opinion based on consideration and that opinion can be positive that opinion can be negative so if we Christians can't judge we can't show any positive approval of anybody how about put on the screen for me John chapter 7 verse 24 Listen to the words of Jesus. Caught you napping, didn't I? John 7, 24, please, in the King James. Jesus said, this is Jesus. I'm just for context. I'm not reading all of it. But Jesus said it. Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. He didn't say don't judge. Put the Amplified up there if you don't mind. See if you awake. (laughs) He didn't say don't judge. He said be honest in your judgment and do not decide at a glance superficially and by appearances, but judge fairly and righteously. We are supposed to judge. Well, how about this? So you failed and whatever. You failed. You're a Christian. You failed. Whether people would consider it big or small or you consider it big or small, you failed. You didn't accomplish what you're supposed to accomplish, didn't do what you're supposed to do. You did stuff you shouldn't have done, et cetera, et cetera. You failed. How do you judge yourself in that situation? Do you judge righteous judgment? People that are frustrated and full of despair, discouraged, depressed. They're not judging righteous judgment. Because they take their failure and use that as the basis for coming to all kind of wrong and negative conclusions about themselves. I've said this many times over the years. When I blow it, There's two of us involved, me and God. One of us is not shocked at all. (laughs) Hey, you hear what I just said? When I fail, there's two of us involved, God and me. And one of us is shocked and the other isn't. God doesn't approve my failure. But He's not shocked at my failure. He already said without me you can do nothing. He also knows that my flesh has a propensity if I give it any kind of an opening to trust itself, its will, its talents, its intellect, its its wisdom, its knowledge, its understanding. And when I allow my failures to cause me to judge unrighteous judgments of myself, then I'm destroying myself. Because God never says, oh, you know, how about this one? You ever heard this one? After you failed? You did it now. There's there's no use. It's over with. It's hopeless. You might as well give up now. Hear me. Hear me. God has never said that to a human being ever. That... Message has never been from God. Ever. God has never said to a person that has failed, you've done it now, you've blown it, you might as well give up, you might as well quit now, it's over with, you just can't get it right. You might as well just quit trying because you just can't get it right. God has never said that to a human being. And when you believe that lie and you say that stuff to yourself about yourself, you're not judging righteously. But when I let my failures remind me that my flesh can't do this and that somehow consciously or subconsciously, knowingly or unknowingly, I put my trust in flesh again. Thank God. Thank God for that failure. Because without it, I could live in deception. But the failure lets me know. You know, you better check this again. Better check this again. I had a semester of celestial navigation. GPS has only been in effect, you know, a couple of decades at most. So you you understand? Just for the only the last couple of decades, can a person, and that's and it, 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 it really accurately, it's not been two decades. That it's only been in this last little few years that a person can technically know exactly where they are on the globe. Those satellites up there are in ge- geosynchronous orbit. Uh, orbits I think I said that correctly that means that at the altitude they're at they travel at exactly the same speed that they don't move in relationship to the earth and so they become fixed points and so your little device and it's so amazing this little thing here that didn't exist of just a few years ago I got my first one in 2011 I think it was 2011 that's four years That this little device, this little device, this little, got a thing in here that picks up the signal from this satellite, picks up the signal from this satellite, picks up the signal from this satellite. Those two cross at a and that's where I am. But before, that's not how you did it. And a good navigator was more valuable to a ship almost than a good captain. Because when you're on a sea, with no land and no no markers, the only way you know where you are is somebody that's skilled enough to take a bearing. That's what it's called. You take the sextant out, and you and you got these books that tell you at such and such a uh, such such a day of the year, at such and such a time of day, that that star, this particular star, is going to be in this spot. And so, therefore, with the sextant, I can take a relative, a line that gives me a direction on a chart in relationship to that star. And I go over here to this star, and I draw another line. And I go over here to this star, and I find that bearing, and I draw this. And if I'm good, those three lines cross at one point. If I'm not good, I, a little triangle's formed. If I'm bad, that triangle could be like 50 square miles. You don't want to be on a ship in the middle of the sea with a with a, a navigator that can't plot that thing down to where that those three lines don't cross at a point. Because you don't know where you are. Because you see, if you can't figure out where you are, you can't get to where you're going. And you can set when you leave a port, you know what what bearing to set, what direction to set on your compass for that ship. Okay, we're going to go 330, whatever that means. I, I guess if I, was leaving the, if I was leaving the east coast and going 330, I'd be aground really quickly. So let's do 090. That's due east, okay? So I'm leaving the east coast. I'm going 090. I, I don't know where that would end me up from here, but I'll hit land over there someplace if I can stay on 090. But there's a problem with that. Tides and winds and storms and all kind of things affect my position. So, every half hour, every hour, every two hours, I don't remember what it is in the Navy. uh, It may be up to the captain. He can call for it any time he wants. But, you know, the the navigator had to plot those. And Okay, captain, here's where we are. Here's where we are right here. Oh well, we're off course by this much. Let's see. From this new point where we are, this is the course we've made to take. Okay, let's come, uh, uh let, let's come left to zero, 080. Zero. Because we're south of our line and we need to come back up to get where we're going. Here's the problem, folks. Are you ready? You can't see the stars in the daytime. So, When you're navigating at sea, you can see where you're going in the daylight, but you don't know where you are. It's at night that you know where you are. You just can't see where you're going. So God gives us day and gives us night and gives us day and gives us night so that at night we can find out where we are. and the daytime, we can see where we're going. But neither one of those lasts but a specific period of time. And depending on your latitude, north or south of the equator, those the amount of time of daylight and dark shifts, depending on, on every day of the year, It's different. It's really weird at the equator that days are almost always 12 hours long. I mean, I've been, in, I've been in Africa, near the equator. And let me tell you something. It's 6 o'clock local time when the sun goes down. It doesn't go down this long, slow, beautiful trek. One minute it's there. Next minute it's not. And if you don't have a flashlight or if you're not in a vehicle with lights on, if you're not someplace safe, you're in the dark. You're tough times. Or your nighttime, when you're supposed to stop and do some celestial navigation. His word says this. Let's see how I line up with that. His word says this. Let's see how I line up with that. His word says this. Let's see how I line up with that. I'm off course here. I need to set a new course. In the daytime, I can see everything around me. I know whether or not I'm close to anything dangerous or not. But I don't know where I am. I can see where I'm going, but I don't know where I am. So God blesses me with nighttime. Because at night, I can't see where I'm going. So I'm supposed to turn inward and check where I am, see where I am. And God blesses me with vision, and he blesses me with a time of inner reflection. Vision and inner reflection. And he does that every day. gives me vision every day and a period of inner reflection every day. Every day, every day, every day. So every day I'm going to have some good times and every day I'm going to have some rough times. Every day. Because the good times keep me going and helps me see where I'm going. The bad times, that's when I stop and say, okay, Jesus, where am I here? Talk to me. Talk to me in your spirit. Talk to me with your word. Talk to me. And if I'm not hearing you very well, have somebody call me. Have somebody come see me. Lord, don't leave me lost here. Help me know where I am and where I'm going. The law are your fixed points in God's dimension. They're fixed. They don't change. God doesn't change. This is right. That This is wrong. This is right. This is wrong. And those are fixed. And i got to see where I am in relation to them. In my introspection. Okay, Lord, how did I get here? Uh, see, I see. I, I I put in some time in prayer right here, but I didn't really I didn't really pray till I was positioned properly in you for the day. I see that now. Lord help me. Help me. Living the Christian life is not hard at all. The hard part is, flesh keeps getting in the way. And you know something? I'm over 68 and a half. And I haven't figured out yet how to keep flesh out of the way 24-7 yet. And no offense to you if you think you have, but I don't know anybody else that has either. And so therefore... It's easy to be patient with other people. Even though their struggles may be different than mine, it's easy to be patient with other people because I sure want God to be patient with me, you see. That doesn't mean I don't do my job and do what you call, I'm called of God to do. But it's easy to be patient and long-suffering with people that are struggling. They may not be struggling with what I am, but I may not be struggling with what they are. But I can be patient with them. Why? Because the Word of God says, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. I'm going to take that and go a different direction with it. Do unto others as you'd have God do unto you. Show God how you want Him to treat you in your good times and bad times. Show Him by how you treat others in their good times and bad times you're not jealous of their good times and you're merciful in their bad times. It's easy to criticize somebody else when you haven't bothered to pray for them. But let me tell you something. If you know somebody that's struggling and their soul is in jeopardy, if you're truly walking with God like you you should be, you'll be on your face for that person crying out to God. And it's really hard to be judgmental and harsh. And impatient with somebody that you're crying out to God for every day. To me, the most important rule that I live by as a leader. Honestly, before God. I try to never treat anybody that I'm leading or that's working with me. Differently than I would want to be treated in the same exact situation. Am I 100% successful with it? Absolutely not. But that thought is in my mind consciously every time I deal with a problem. If I was sitting there and they were sitting here what would I want them to say to me? How would I want them to treat me? I don't mean lying to them and saying, oh, that's okay, it's no big deal. It is a big deal. It's a problem. But I can, I, can, I can correct a person if necessary and be kind about it. That's what some people have never understood. When you're addressing a crowd of people, you, you, to make an impact, you've got to be more straightforward, more direct than you would be if you were dealing with any one of those people one-on-one. I've had people complain over the years, Brother Wright is so mean and he's so harsh and he's so this, that, and the other. And you can find hundreds of them. But what I want you to find is more than a handful that even can can remotely say that one-on-one I've ever been unkind to them, harsh to them, mean to them. No, not one-on-one. Because it's different. Trying to lead a group of people is totally different than trying to lead an individual. Yes, I do not apologize for the fact that from the pulpit, I can be very direct. I'm never intentionally mean, but I can be direct. Because when I'm trying to make my point, the last thing in the world is I want anybody walking out that door trying to say, you know what he was saying? You understand what he was trying to say? No, because if I got a word from God, it's too important to me and to God that you know exactly the point that's trying to be made when you walk out of here. And if that's too direct, it's more important that I'm too direct and you get the message than it is that I am too gentle and you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. But now one-on-one, that's completely different. It's completely different. You just you you have to deal with people gently one-on-one. I've had a few times in my life somebody made up their mind to see just how far they could push me, and I'm not happy to say that I lost my cool a few times. But you can't find a handful of them that would say that. Why? Because I want to be treated. I want to treat people like I want to be treated. And the book says, Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. He didn't, he never guaranteed me that people would treat me like I treat them. They may not do that. But let me tell you something. If they mistreat me, it's not gonna be because I mistreated them first. And then that's between them and God. Because my responsibility is not how they treat me. My responsibility is how I treat them what my attitude is about them, how I'm approaching them, how I'm praying for them, how I'm trying to help them. That's my responsibility. Not how they're acting toward me, but how I'm acting toward them. That's my responsibility. I can't control them and the, the way they treat me. I can—I only am responsible for, for how I treat other people. And I answer for that. You'll answer for that. We all will. Father, we love you tonight. We thank you for your blessings upon us, your goodness to us. I thank you for your spirit speaking to us tonight. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray grace and peace from the Father upon us. In Jesus' name, Lord, let your grace work in our minds, our hearts, our spirits, our lives to open our eyes. Let light shine into the darkness of our Lack of understanding, let us see, let us understand, let us be thankful for our struggles because they drive us back to you. They correct our course and send us back into alignment with you if we are truly humble. And if we're not humble, Lord, if we're judging unrighteously, judging ourselves unrighteously and taking the lies that Satan is saying to us about ourselves and repeating them as our own words to us about us, In Jesus' name, Lord, open our eyes, let light shine, deliver us from the spirit of slander that he uses against us, and deliver us from adopting his spirit of slander against ourselves. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, give us the revelation, Father, that you have blessed us with failure, frustration, and despair. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you.